0: Hallelujah. God is good all the time, isn't he? Amen. It is so good to be back in the house of the Lord, be among people that love you and care about you. I know that you love me and you care about me. Amen. And I love you too, and there's nothing you can do about it. (laughs) Amen. If you would take your Bibles out, turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel. I just want to remind you that in two weeks, we're going to have our annual business meeting. We will not be having Acts 2 dinner today. This is third Sunday. Normally, we have that today. Because we're going to be uh, sharing a meal on, on our, uh, at our business meeting. So two weeks from today, uh, we'll be having that meeting. Now, I'm going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 24 if you want to find your place there. Uh, before I get into the Word, I wanted to thank uh, those that just at a phone call and just a minute's notice, uh, you stepped up and helped with the memorial service for Brother Walter Kraft, um, Linda Henshaw, Nancy Harris, Wanda Mason, um, Diane Lewis, uh, Francis Poindexter, you guys just put a spread out there fit for a king. And, uh, you know, it's so nice just to pick up the phone and say, I need this, and it's taken care of. You know, we, we wanted to do um, music, and I just, I called Hunter and Mark, and they just put it all together, you know, and Gary and Brian set up all the tables and tore them down, and I, I put in a phone call to Gail, our secretary, and she printed out all the the um, the uh, announcements and that and it was just it's so good to have a team that just makes things happen and it was such a blessing to the Kraft family. They sent a thank you and uh, they want to thank the church and everybody that pitched in and helped out. Now this morning I'm going to continue the series we've been doing in lessons from the life of David. Week one, I talked about the mercies of God and how his epitaph was he's a man after God's own heart, how his mercy was passed down to many generations, hundreds of years after David's life. The mercies of God was extended to his descendants because of David. Week two, we preached about how the nation dethroned God. They said, give us a king like the other nations because of the lust of their heart. And so God said, give them what they asked for. Looked around, found a man a head taller than everybody else. Says, You want a king? There he is. You know, said, but tell them what it's going to be like. He's going to make slaves out of all of you. He's going to take all your possessions. But they didn't care, and they got, got what they asked for. Week three, we talked about how that God looks at the outside. I mean, God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outside. And even though David was a man after God's own heart, he was an adulterous murderer. You know, his heart was wicked. But there was something about David that God saw. And it wasn't the fact that his heart was perfect. It was the fact that his heart was yielded, and we learned how that our hearts are not perfect, but if your heart's yielded, God can use you. Week four, we looked at covenant friendship, the the unshakable friendship between Jonathan and David, and how that uh, friendship is something that we need to work on. And then last week, we looked at Nabal and Abigail. Nabal, Abigail said, as his name is, so is he. The word Nabal means fool. He was a fool because he didn't appreciate and honor the things that was handed down to him. Now, this morning, if you found your place in 1 Samuel 24, say amen. Boy, has everybody found their place there? Say amen. Amen. All right. Verse 1, it said, Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of Injadai. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rock of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his knees. Now he's taking a potty break in case you're wondering what's going on here. We don't know if he just dropped his robe or if he laid it off to the side, but his robe is accessible to David anyway. It says, David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Verse 4, Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemies into your hands, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Verse 5 says, Now it happened after that David's heart troubled him. Now I want you to see this. He didn't touch Saul. He just cut off his robe. But his heart troubled him because he had cut off Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him, seeing that he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants uh, with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. David arose also arose afterwards, went out of the cave and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped to his face on the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you. But my eye spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father see, yes, see the corner of your robe is in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you by my hand, but my hand shall not be against you. Verse 13, and the proverb of the ancients say, Wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog, a flea. Therefore, let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, Is this the voice of my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. Father, we just pray this morning that your word, God, it's always anointed, Lord God. But, Father, I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be on me as I share, God, what I believe that you've put in my heart, Lord, and I pray most of all, God, that the anointing of the Spirit will be on the hearers, God. Lord, you told us to hear your word, and not only that, but, God, that we be doers of the word so that we don't deceive ourselves. So, God, we pray that your perfect will will be done here today, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. amen, amen. Now, Today is kind of unique from most uh, Sunday services because our church, and and you could tell it with Brian, he was really moved with compassion this morning as he spoke. We are in a state of grief here in our church. Just last Sunday when I got through with the service, Brother Walkcraft, the first time he's ever come all the way up on the stage because he had said something that was really funny and I agreed with him, but he thought that it was taken out of context and said, Pastor, I said something the other day and said, I just want to make sure it didn't offend you. I said, Walt, what you said, I never even give it a second thought. In fact, I agreed with you. I thought it was hilarious. It was funny. Don't, don't worry about it. Little did I know before the week was passed that I would be doing his memorial service. Uh, because Walt Kraft passed away this week. And, uh, and he, uh, he was an amazing man. Now, I know some of you couldn't make the memorial service because of work and, and that. So let me just take a minute just to tell you. When you think you know somebody, the last few days I found out stuff about that man, and I'm going to be honest with you, I feel a little bit cheated. I do. I would have loved to have sat down and picked his brain about some of these things because what an amazing man of God. He started his life in Anchorage, Alaska, the son of an Air Force jet pilot. His dad flew in World War II, dropped bombs on Germany. He was a career Air Force man, so as a result of that, Walt moved all over the country. Now, he and I had something in common in that he was always the new kid in school. And because of that, boys being boys, you come in, you're the new kid in school, you've got to try to find where you fit in the pecking order, which means there's going to be a fight. <laughs> all right? Well, as it happened, Walt got beat up a lot when he was a kid. In the ninth grade, he decided he'd had enough of that. He started working out. And he became the guy beating up the other kids. he became a very violent and angry person. And uh, his son told me one guy, he, he made the guy say something just so he could hit him. And he kept saying, say, say this, say this. And, and, and when he said it, he said, are you calling me that? And he just beat him some more. He was just angry and violent. But he grew up in church. And one Sunday he was in church and the pastor said something. And even though he didn't give his heart to Christ, it changed something in him. And he decided, you know, I don't want to hurt anybody else again. And so he, he went on. He, he grew up in Texas, California, uh, Alaska. He went to University of Kansas. He was earning his degree in architect. He was a professional trumpet player. And uh, when he was in college uh, studying architect, he was drafted in 1968 into the Army. This is right in the, in the height of the Vietnam era and Korea is at war. And because of his conviction, he said, I, I can't pick up a gun and shoot somebody. He said, I'm not opposed to the war. I'm not opposed to going. I'm not going to dodge the draft, but I can't shoot somebody. So he went in as an objective observer, and they made him a medic. He, he served in a combat zone in, in North Korea. And, and, and I'm telling you, a guy that will go in to run towards trouble without a weapon to help other people is a person worthy of respect. Amen. And so he served in a combat zone there. He, was, he served with distinction. He was discharged as a ser- sergeant. Served uh, people the rest of his life. Now, while he was in Korea, through the influence of a young Korean boy that attended Dr. youngy Cho's church. If you don't know what that is, it's the largest church in the world. It's an Assembly of God church. They have over 800,000 members. And it was through that ministry that Walt Craft gave his heart to Christ. And when I heard that, I was all kinds of jealous. Because I'm thinking if there's a place you would want to be saved, it's certainly in Jerusalem, the holiest place on earth. Amen? The second holiest place in my mind is Prayer Mountain in Seoul, Korea. And I'm thinking, man, that that would be a really cool place to go get saved, you know. And so he returned from the military, and his 15-year-old sweetheart... Sister Gail, who's with us this morning, God God bless you, Gail. Good to see you back in church. Uh, They were married on June the 5th, 1971. They immediately entered into ministry. He attended Trinity Bible College in North Dakota, where he graduated. After that, he, and while he was there, by the way, he had a son, nine-pound baby boy named Jason, fine young man of God. I met him this week, and what an amazing young man he is. Then they went to Wycliffe Bible Translator School in Dallas, Texas, where a nine-pound baby girl was born. These are big babies. Amen? Nine pounds, five ounces, that's a big baby. Amen? Nine pounds is a big baby. Rebecca was born. She was nine pounds. Walt had a desire that every tribe and every tongue would hear the Word of God. So he finished his studies with Evangel Bible Translators in Rockwell, Texas, and then they entered the mission field. They went to Indonesia, where he began to train pastors to prepare them for the ministry. After a stay there, they returned back to Montgomery, Alabama for a time of refreshing and gave birth to their third baby, a 10-pound baby girl named Elizabeth. Then they returned back to Indonesia, and while in in the mission field there in Indonesia, they gave birth to the fourth and last, the baby of the family, um, Annette, who was only a tiny little seven pound, 14 ounces. So small, in fact, fact, Annette, you're with us? Is that Annette I see back there? They nicknamed her BB. Annette, why don't you and Gail stand up? So the people, we have some visitors. They don't know who I'm talking about, okay? This is Gail and Annette. God bless you guys, amen. And so they nicknamed her BB, but I want you to get this. It was movie night for the family. And so she goes into labor when it's, I mean, come on, mom. It's time for the movie, she goes into labor, has the baby, says, I feel great. They popped the popcorn and went ahead and watched the movie. Walt Kraft delivered all four of his children at home. And so I told him at the memorial service, I don't know who I'm the most impressed with, Walter Gail. <laughs> Walt spoke English, he spoke Indonesian, he spoke Javanese. He spoke Korean, and he spoke Spanish. He started a Bible college in Indonesia and trained and plant, trained pastors and planted nine churches while he was there. You think you know somebody, don't you? He ministered to the poorest of the poor. Sometimes their payment was a live shark and eggs from chickens because these people had nothing. That's all they had. They raised all four of their chi- children, and they taught them the Word of God. Annette and her husband serve as pastors in California. Uh, they have uh, Elizabeth and her husband, uh, was it Alan, is that his name? Andy, Andy. Brother Andy, they serve as pastors of the church on the eastern shore, and his eldest son teaches Bibles in uh, the high school. So he's, he's a man, I'm telling you, that was worthy of respect, and a man whose respect I very much wanted to have. Walt's main thing in life, he taught our Wednesday night Bible study. We have Bible teaching here on Wednesday night that is on a collegiate level. But they put it right down on the bottom shelf so the most, the babe in Christ can understand it. But Walt, he loved to read the Bible. He didn't just read it, he studied it. He didn't just read and study it, he understood it. He loved to teach it to other people, but most of all, Walt Kraft lived the Word of God. Amen. So we, we're very honored to have had Walt in our midst, and I, I just pray that the example that Walt set for us is an inspiration to all of us, amen. I was so convicted as I heard his life story, I'm like, man, I, I wish I was half the man Walt Craft was, and I sincerely mean that. What an amazing man of God. Now, also, today is a, it's another special day. It's St. Patrick's Day. Now, him and is wearing green this morning? My wife made me put on this, I guess that's green. It looks gold to me, but anyway, she said put it on, it's green. How many is wearing green? Wave at me. Because uh, we think, uh, the world thinks of St. Patrick's Day as uh, leprechauns and shamrocks and, and uh, Irish. But what you may not know is St. Patrick wasn't Irish. He was an Englishman. In fact, when he was 16 years old... Uh, His real name was Mayan Sakat. And uh, during this time, it was in in, uh, 385 when he was born, uh, there was marauding tribes that would invade other countries and stuff and plunder their goods and take them. Well, he was taken captive by a, a gang of pirates who took him to Ireland and sold him into slavery at age 16. Now, his parents were Christian. In fact, his father was a deacon in the church. But Patrick was a self-proclaimed atheist. He, he, he was just a, a, a pagan. And after becoming a slave, having been raised in church, he confessed his faith in Jesus Christ and began to grow in his faith so much so that his fellow slaves called him, the, quote, the holy boy. Now, he was a slave for six years there in Ireland. His first, the first dream that he had, he had a dream, and in the dream he heard you are right to fast. Soon you will be returning to your own country. And then he had a dream that followed up behind that and says, come and see where your ship is waiting for you. So upon that, he escaped from his, his uh, slave owner, and he traveled 200 miles to the coast and found a ship and found his way back to England. It took him two years to return back to England. Now when he got back to England... He studied to become a bishop, and while he was there, his parents didn't want him to leave again, but he had a dream, and in a dream, he saw a man uh, standing with a book, and and when he read the book, it said, The Voice of the Irish. And as he read the words, uh, St. Patrick heard the voices of his fellow slaves in Ireland. They said, Holy broth of a boy, we beg you, come back and walk once more among us. Now the church that he was attending didn't think that the Celtic people, the Druids, were even worthy to be saved. So they didn't send missionaries to Ireland. Because if you understand anything about the Celtic people and the Druid faith, it was demonic, it was, it was barbaric, it was a, it's where we get a lot of the witchcraft that is practiced today came from that part of the world. His parents feared the Druids because they would weave into a basket runaway slaves and hang them over a fire as punishment to torture them and to to kill them. During his ministry there in Ireland, the Druids tried to kill him over and over. They tried to poison him. One time they speared a chariot driver trying to kill St. Patrick. And he served in Ireland until his death in March the 17th, 461. It was said, legend said that he drove out the snakes from Ireland but the fossil records in Ireland shows that there never were any snakes there to begin with and what some people suggest is it was a metaphor because the Bible says these signs shall follow them that believe in my name they shall and one thing it says is they will take up serpents well the Greek word that's used there is not describing a reptile it's the Greek word aphiz, and it describes a demonic or evil personality the, the Greek word for, for reptile is herpeton. You find it in the book of James. So it says they'll take up serpents. It's not talking about a literal reptile. It's talking about taking authority over spiritual powers. So they believe that it was a metaphor that St. Patrick drove out the spiritual forces of the Druid cult. And he, he just abolished the nation from that religious, religious practice. And they became a, a, a well, Catholic nation. But, I mean, they believed in Christ. And um, also that we, we wonder about the shamrock and the color green and that. The, the color green was not even the Irish color. Blue was the Irish color. But over time it changed to the green. And they believed it was because, because of their cultic religion and their worship of nature and so forth that he used the three-leaf clover to describe the Trinity. These three leaves are three, but they're all part of one. And out of that tradition and that teaching... The shamrock became, you know, a, a matter of, of folklore and, and uh, different uh, ideas arose about that. And the color of green was adopted. And I have no idea where the leprechauns and the pot of gold came from. Uh, who knows? But anyway, we, we remember St. Patrick today. We remember Brother Walt today. And then there's David. Here's David in the wilderness of Injadai. More than 10 times, Saul has tried to kill him. Two times now, David had the opportunity to slay his enemy, and he had every right to do that other than the fact that he knew in his heart, regardless of what his friends told him, you will not touch my anointed or do my prophets no harm. That's the mind of God. Even if the, the anointed one, King Saul, was an evil man, he's still the anointed of God. And so he had opportunity to, to kill him, and so he's standing there in this cave, and Saul has come in, and he's, he's standing there. with. This is a man who has killed tens of thousands, he and his army. You understand, when they rode into the city, Saul has killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. I mean, he knew how to take care of business. You understand what I'm saying? And here is Saul. Do I strike him and kill him like I did Goliath? Or do I show him mercy? And David. Came down on the side of mercy. Now what does that tell us about David? What did Walt Craft. St. Patrick. King David. All have in common. With each other. More importantly. What did they have in common with Jesus Christ? Furthermore. If you and I are going to be accepted by Christ, it is something that we must have. It is the quintessential characteristic of every Christian. They had forgiveness. They forgave their enemy. They forgave people that's trying to hurt them, trying to kill them. Walt Kraft, instead of seeking revenge on the people, because he had a list of the guys that beat him up, he was going to go back and get every one of them. How do I relate to that? I have set and thought in my mind how I could track them down and get even with the guys. Because I, I, I was in a lot of fights, you know, and I didn't always win, but I'm like, you know what? Think, I learned a few things about self-defense. I'm like, I can go back and take gear business now. Let me go find that guy that thumped me and see what, how this thing works out. Now, I understand that, but instead of doing that, God changed something in his heart. And instead of revenge... He wanted to not hurt people. He wanted to love people. St. Patrick, instead of hating, he went back to the people that was his captors and ministered to them. It is interesting, too, that had it not been for the Irish, this is a bizarre twist in the story, if it hadn't been for the Irish, there's a good possibility that St. Patrick would have died an atheist heathen and went to hell. The fact that, listen, sometimes things happen in your life and you're wondering, well, God, where are you? But God takes all things work together for good to those that love the Lord. And those that call, come on now, that's, I'm starting to preach here now. All things work together for good. He's taken captive by the Irish, but that was the very thing that saved him. He was an atheist up until that point. Isn't that an amazing twist in his story? And here's David, knowing that he himself was king, It said in verse Uh, chapter 24, verse 8, he called King Saul, my lord, the king. He stooped on his face to the earth. He bowed down to him. He called him my father. And he said, my hand shall not be against you. So instead of being unforgiving and having this uncontrolled anger and this hate and this rage and this bitterness, he chose instead to have forgiveness for him. Verse 13, he says, as the Proverbs Of the ancients says, the wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. You could read it this way. The uncontrolled anger, the the unforgiveness, the bitter, the hatedness proceeds from those who are unforgiving. Verse 14, he says, after whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom have you pursued? He compared himself to a dog and to a flea. When he is the rightful king of Israel, he is the person that has already been anointed to replace Saul whom God has rejected. And he knew that, but yet he was forgiving. Forgiveness is one of the most difficult challenges that each one of us will face. I can probably assume that every person in this room and every person in the sound of my voice right now has been offended by somebody and had an opportunity to harbor unforgiveness in your heart. That unforgiveness unchecked turns into bitterness. And the Bible says that bitterness drieth the bones. Church, I'm going to tell you something. Unforgiveness, it will kill you. Physically, it will kill you. It's a very, very slow, agonizing death. You know, when I think of of Walt, you know, I mean, these are what I call seasons of the soul. It's when you stop and think about the really, really important things in life. I was talking to Brother Randy the other day and something that he went through. And I said, Brother, when you get that phone call, it brings things into perspective really fast. When all of a sudden, you, you know, my wife, she had an about with a little physical thing. You know, when you hear certain words, it's like, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter what kind of car you drive, what kind of house you live in. It doesn't matter what kind of income you earn. Things get in, you bring things into perspective fast. You know, and isn't it isn't it a shame to live our life and one day we wake up and we're facing the end of our life and we look back and we've wasted our life hating and being vengeful and and being angry and and being depressed. One day that you spend in depression is a day you've lost, you've wasted. Man, we need to rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Amen. Every day we need to just celebrate. It's a day I'm alive, I'm healthy, I'm... Praise God. This is a day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. You know, that's a discipline. It doesn't have anything to do with how you feel. It's a discipline. It's something I choose to do. And so this is a difficult challenge for each and every one of us. But can I say to you on the authority of God's Word, you cannot harbor unforgiveness and be forgiven. Forgiven by God can't do it Matthew chapter 6 why don't you look at it with me the disciples have said Lord teach us how to pray everybody knows this prayer in this manner therefore pray our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors You forgive me like I forgive others. That's what it's saying. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. We stop there, but read the next two verses. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Church, let's look this way and listen there's been more people that has prayed their way into hell than people that's committed fornication father forgive me like i forgive others and he says if you don't forgive them i'm not going to forgive you well that adds a whole new dimension on the understanding of salvation doesn't it you said well i thought all we had to do was believe we have taken that word believe and give it such an insignificant meaning. Believe doesn't just mean mental ascension to the fact that Jesus Christ was a character in history. That he died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He died for my sins. We can know all of that. And still not practice that. That's what James says. Be ye doers of the word. Not hearers only. Deceiving your own self. Believing is Doing. If you believe it, you're going to do it. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? But you do not do the things I say. Many shall say unto me that day, Lord, Lord. But they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But they'll say, we've prophesied in your name. We've cast out devils in your name. We've done many mighty things in your name. And he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You who would not forgive. You who holds bitterness in your heart. I never knew you. Believing is doing. Are you hearing me church? Say amen. Or oh me, I don't know. <laughs> I'm an equal opportunity offender. Praise God, I'm just It's part of preaching. If you don't offend people, don't become a preacher. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm trying to help you. Amen. I love you and you can't do nothing about it. All right. <laughs> we need a comprehensive understanding of forgiveness. Not only that, we need a comprehensive understanding and practice of forgiveness, both horizontally, between one another and vertically, between me and God. It's essential in the biblical definition of salvation. God's forgiveness towards us, vertical. sin is completely removed. Psalms chapter 103. Are you with me? Psalms 103, verse one and three, it says, "And this is David. David understood this concept. A Psalm of David, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Verse 8 says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abundant in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, you just stop right there. How high are the heavens above the earth? Listen, if we start here and go up to the heavens, it goes into infinity and beyond. (laughs) To quote Buzz Lightyear, There's no end to it. He says, as the heavens are high, there's no end to God's forgiveness. Then he says, so great is his mercy towards us who fear him. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You know how far that is? Same thing. I heard somebody use this illustration. and said, well, if you circumvent the globe, you'll finally get by. He's not talking about circumventing the circumference of the globe. He's talking about you start going to the east and you start going to the west. You travel into infinity and beyond in both directions. And my sin is that far removed away from me. So when I I come and say, God, forgive me. I, I shouldn't have said that. I should have thought that. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry, God. He's not looking at my list and saying, well, you've been here for that and that and that. He's not keeping score. There's not a list of how many times you've been there. As far as he's concerned, it's the first time you've ever been there. Because those things have been removed not to be remembered against you again. We get this idea that God's got this whole long list of, I can't go again. My goodness, all I do is repent. Well, brother, you need to keep doing that. Amen? But the thing is, when you do repent, it's as if you're doing it for the first time in the eyes of God. Now, He requires that kind of forgiveness from you towards other people. When I forgive them, I am not going to hold that against them. It's removed as far as the east is from the west, as high as the heavens is above the earth. So, if they, they, David, what, what Peter said, how many times do I forgive my brother? Seven times we're going to read that here in a minute. I don't want to get ahead of myself. God put up a sign. I like this. He says, your sins are thrown in the sea of God's forgetfulness. And there is a sign there that says, no fishing allowed. Because, you see, we want to go dig that stuff back up again. A lot of times we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. You know God's forgiven us. We have a hard time forgiving ourselves. Can I just give you permission this morning to forgive yourself? God's forgiving you. Who do you think you are to hold that against yourself? If God's removed it, you shouldn't be holding on to it, and nobody else should either. You know we have people that come into our church that's got some history, amen. I've got some history, and and I told my wife one time. I mean she was a, one of the most righteous, holy young women you've ever met in your life. I was a dog. I t- deceived her into marrying me. You know, I like what your son said. Uh, Gail said, said uh, Mom, what did you do wrong? How did you wind up with Dad? <laughs> that she was his best three-quarters. <laughs> Not his other half, but his three-quarters. Well, my, my wife is like that. And for the longest time, I beat myself up because of the things that I did as a youth that I'm ashamed of. Until one day, I realized, why am I dredging up the things that God has removed and forgotten I'm bringing it up because I haven't forgiven myself. And I finally forgave myself, and I said, you know what? The day that I knelt down and said, Jesus, save me, I was born again. That old man's dead. I was a brand-new creation in Christ Jesus at that point in time, and so were you. Listen, the, the, the... Don Francisco's song says, I don't care where you've been sleeping. I don't care who's made your bed. I've already gave my life to set you free. There's no sin you can imagine that is greater than my love, and I've already died to set you free. Great song. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus Christ sets you free. But church, we need to understand that we've got to have that same concept towards each other because Jesus says if you don't do that, God's not going to do that for you. That, that is such a powerful thing that we it's quintessential to our understanding of what forgiveness is, to our salvation. Now, Micah 7 verse 19 says, He will again have compassion on us, he and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins. How many? all our sins into the depths of the sea now just as god has extended forgiveness vertically we are extended horizontally jesus told it in a story this way matthew chapter 18 read it with me then peter came to him and said lord how often shall my brother sin against me and i forgive him up to seven times jesus said unto him i do not say to you up to seven times but up to 70 times 7 that's 490, if you, in case you don't do the math. Am I right, Mike? He's a walking calculator. He's, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife, his children, All that he had that a payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion. He released him and forgave him his debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's like you owed me a million dollars and this guy owes you ten bucks. You get the picture? And he said, And he laid hands on on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe me. Verse 29, So his fellow servants fell down on his face and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. And he would not. But he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Now, just stop right there. This is talking about Jesus Christ and you. When you came to Jesus, forgive me, Jesus, forgive me. And he's like, I forgave you all. As high as the heavens is above the earth, as far as the east is from the west, because you asked me to. Verse 33, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servants just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the tortures until he should pay all that was due to him. You know how long that is? How long would it take you to pay what is due to Jesus? You will never be able to pay it all. That is a picture of eternity in hell. He is t- turned over to the tortures until he pays all. Well, he'll never pay all. It's a picture of eternal damnation, eternal hell. Verse 35, so my, so my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Church, are you seeing how serious this is? Our salvation hinges on this. It really, really does. Now, I'm going to close real quick with a couple of stories just to give you an idea. One, one of the best examples of this I've ever heard was Dr. Rutland. You guys know, you hear me quote Dr. Rutland sometimes. He He's just an amazing man of God. He told a story about, because he travels a lot and preaches a lot, and he was in a service. And in this service, there was a man that came forward at the altar during prayer time, and his hand was withered like rheumatoid arthritis. And he said, I want you to understand that not everybody that is crippled with rheumatoid arthritis is dealing with some kind of unforgiveness or bitterness. I'm not saying that. But in this case, he came up and said, I want you to pray for my hand. And he said his wife was standing behind him, and he saw the look on her face. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord just said, just stop right now and deal with her. And he said, is there just by any chance... Something in your past that you have not forgiven him for. And she said, I forgave him for that years ago. (laughs) He's like, yeah, I could tell. (laughs) And so he began to dig around. And what he found out was 20 years before that, he had a one-night stand with a prostitute. And she'd been holding on to that bitterness for 20 years years and he said let me just let me just ask you something ma'am if by some chance over the past 20 years that prostitute came to christ and was born again and your husband who has repented and gave his heart to christ and they both die and they're both up in heaven together and you die in your unforgiveness and bitterness and go to hell and she, he said that a look came over her face, and she, and she called her husband's name. I don't recall what it was. She said, Oh, my. What have I done? What have I done? She said, I am so sorry. And she truly, truly repented and forgave from her heart. He said the pastor was weeping. The whole church came up around and they were all weeping. And they were just crying, just having a time in the Lord. And about that time, he said nobody had prayed for this man. Nobody had touched this man. He said, oh my, look, look. And said his hand was completely and totally healed by the power of God. He said, what am I saying with that? I'm not saying that bitterness and unforgiveness will cripple you. But I'm saying what will twist your heart can twist your body. The Bible says bitterness does drive the bones. I said unforgiveness will kill you. It really, really will. Now, we need to use wisdom in our forgiveness. When you forgive somebody, if your father, grandfather, or somebody molested your children, you forgive them, but you're not going to invite them over to babysit the kids. You understand? I mean, you, you, God gave you a brain. Don't check it at the door. Right? If somebody, the, there's people in our fellowship now. We love each other, but the body of Christ has many parts. And I've said this before, the nose and the armpit, they don't hang out together. And sometimes you're the nose, sometimes you're the armpit. Right? There, there's some things that you can be forgiving, you can be kind, but that don't mean you're going to pile around with each other. So, sort all of that out. You're not always chummy with people that you forgive because th- there's a misconception about forgiveness that it has something to do with feelings. Forgiveness is not necessarily how you feel, and I had to learn this a long, long time ago, and it was what helped me when I was talking about Walt and how he wanted to get even with the guys. I learned that forgiveness is a choice. And I had to get to a point, I was like, God, and this is the prayer I prayed. Lord, you know I don't mean this in my heart. But because you commanded me to forgive, I choose to forgive. You invoke your will, and I choose to forgive. And if you will go down that path and stay on it, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Not only will you forgive from your heart, but you will begin to see that person in a different light you begin to pray for them. You begin to pray for their family. Pray for their prosperity, their blessing, their health, and everything. You will wish good on them. Because unforgiveness wishes evil on them. You want them to get what's coming to them. And that's a true sign that you haven't really forgiven. Oh, well, I forgave them. <laughs> but when you see them, you're like, one day I hope you get what's coming to you. Every dog has his day, and the wind on all. When you're thinking and saying those things, the Bible says if you don't forgive, from your heart but you don't get there by the way you feel you get there by invoking your will by the choices that you make and every one of us and every one of you can do that so uh, why is it so hard to forget it though how many of you know who Corrie ten Boone is she was a jewish prisoner the Ju- the G- german nazis kept her prisoner and she, after she came out of that, she wrote books. I mean, she said great, great books she wrote. And um, she went to a pastor and says, why is it that I am having so much trouble forgetting all of that horror and all the bad things that happened to me? And just by the Spirit of the Lord, he said, he said, Corey, do you remember when you were little and you'd come to the church and I would let you ring the bell? How many of you remember the old ropes and the church bells and they would pull the rope Sometimes, if it's big, if you're a kid, especially if you're a kid, because we used to have some in some of the churches my dad pastored, you pull on the rope, nothing happened. That thing go back up again. You pull it real hard, and about the third time, dong, dong, right. He said, "You remember how I'd let you ring the bell?" She said, "Yeah." I said, "When you let go of the rope, did the bell stop ringing?" She said, "No, it didn't." He said, "It's the same way with forgiveness." You refuse to take hold of the rope, but it takes time for the ringing to stop. Time will heal this, but while it's being healed and all those memories come back, do not take hold of the rope again. Refuse to hold bitterness and unforgiveness towards them. I choose to forgive. There has to be the event where you make up your mind, I choose to forgive. And then there is the process of the bell stopping to ring. You say, but pastor, there are some things that's just unforgivable. What do you do when it is unforgivable? And he told the story, this is again Dr. Rutland, the best example I ever heard. He told the story of a convention that he went to preach up in Ohio. And while he was there in a church, he was invited to a church to preach. He preached, uh, he brought a sermon on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the service, they said they had these, it was a Methodist church, because he used to be a Methodist pastor. He said they had these benches where you would come and kneel to pray at the front. And said he was preaching on the baptism of the Spirit, and he said, tonight we're going to pray. If you want to receive the baptism, you come, we're going to pray for you. And said there was a man in there, and he was huge. said when he knelt down, he shook the entire bench. And said he knelt down, and he was sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And said, he came over to him and said, Sir, would you like to receive the baptism? He said, Yes, but I can't. He said, Well, do you know why? He said, Yes, I know exactly why. And what had happened, what he learned, is this man was a deputy sheriff in the county there. And his daughter was going out with a guy who was kind of the wild kid in the neighborhood. He was a thug. And they got a call one night at a bar room that there had been a shooting. And when they went there, they had arrested the guy, and it was her boyfriend. And when they walked over, he had shot this person in the face with a shotgun, and he rolled the person over, and it was his daughter. And he said it took every cop there to restrain him from killing the boy right then and there. And he said he's serving time in prison right now, he said, and I just cannot get beyond that. I can't forgive him. I want to kill him with every fiber of my being. How can God ever baptize me in the spirit? How can I ever get beyond this? And so Dr. Rutland, he stood back, he said, Brother, I'm going to ask you to do something. He said, I'm going to ask the pastor to kneel down on the, on the opposite side of the bench from you, and I want you to look in his face, and I want you to imagine that it's the young man that shot your daughter. And he said, I want you to look at him and say, just simply say, I forgive you. He said, how do I do that? He said, it's when you cannot do something like that, you say, Father, I cannot do this. But I pray that you forgive him through me. And he said, I have never witnessed anybody have such a spiritual struggle in my life. His whole body quaked, weeping and heaving. He said, he finally reached out, his whole body shaking. He said, when he touched the pastor's hand and said, I forgive you. He says, his hand shot up in the air and God filled him with the spirit. And the whole church came alive. Well, he said, the next night he came back for the revival and he looked around. He's looking for that deacon and he wasn't there. He's like, well, that's sanctification for you. He said, it lasted a whole 24 hours. He didn't even bother to come back to the revival meeting tonight. And so he told the pastor, the pastor said, "Just, just relax. Brother Rutland, said so this morning, that man and his wife got in the car to drive to the penitentiary to forgive the boy that shot their daughter and to pray for him. He said the years that followed, they would go visit him often and minister to him. Now, I'm not saying that you have to take it to that next step. But church, you've got to get to a place where there's something that is so grow so unforgivable that you cannot forgive and you just have to turn it over to Jesus say God I can't do this I can't do this but I pray God I pray that you forgive this person through me and to believe God that he can do that often we think That by forgiving them, we're somehow letting them off of the hook. Because see, there's a part of us, we want to see them punished for what they've done. They should be punished for what they've done. And if I forgive them, they're they're getting a free pass or getting off the hook. Can I ask you something? When you stood before Jesus, did you deserve to be punished for what you've done? If he forgave you, do you get a free pass? If he forgave me, all my sins have been removed. Yes, I do get a free pass. Your forgiveness is not giving them a free pass. Only Jesus can do that. The forgiveness that you extend to him has no effect on their their eternal destiny. It has nothing to do with the consequences for their transgression. Listen, that's in the hands of God. Because you can forgive somebody and they still hate you. They still wish you harm. David forgave Saul. Saul died an evil man. It had nothing to do with Saul's destiny. Had nothing to do with his eternity. Or the consequences for his wickedness. You're not giving them a pass into heaven by forgiving them. What forgiveness does, that's for my benefit, church. When you forgive somebody, that's for your benefit. That's to untwist your twisted soul. Unforgiveness has been compared to people drinking poison expecting the other person to die. Because when you hold unforgiveness in your heart, you are killing yourself physically. You're killing yourself spiritually. Because you're drinking poison expecting harm to come to the person that you despise or you hate. That's why I say it's a quintessential belief, doctrine, our salvation because without it God, you, you, if, if you think is there a way I can literally tie the hands of God according to the authority of his words, yes there is if I refuse to forgive, he said I can't, I can't I'm not going to violate my own word I'm not going to forgive you so how can I forgive them Say, Father you forgive them for me what did Jesus say Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Remember that? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now you think about the people that were standing there. There will never be, nor has there ever been, a greater transgression against man than what happened at Calvary. Jesus had wronged no one. He knew no sin. There was no sin in him. He didn't just love people. He was love. And they crucified him. If anybody deserved punishment for what they had done, it was them. They hated him. And even when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They still hated him. And wished him harm. You see, unforgiveness creates a barrier that prevents God's forgiveness to me. So this morning when we remember the characteristic of Walt, he demonstrated that in his life. St. Patrick demonstrated that in his life. King David demonstrated that in his life. Jesus, of course, demonstrated that in his life. And he's commanding you and I to demonstrate that in our life. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, this morning, just to bow your head right where you're sitting. I'm just going to ask you to stay seated, if you would, please. As I was preaching this morning, I'm just going to assume that somebody came into your mind that has wronged you, offended you in some way. And even though maybe just deep down inside you're, you're thinking, well, I've forgiven everybody. But you have never really had the event where you said, I forgive that person. Church, when I learned this truth, I sat down with a pencil and paper and made a list of the people that I hated. People that wronged me. People that I had said and had evil thoughts. The Bible says evil thoughts come from the heart. Thoughts of murder and adultery and et cetera and so forth. I sat down and wrote down their names on a list, one by one. I said, God, you know what that person did to me. You know I don't mean this in my heart, but you commanded me to forgive them, so today I choose to forgive. And I, 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 I wrote their name down. I didn't just call it out. I wrote it down. I'm not saying you have to do that, but what I'm saying to you is you can't think of a time that you had an event Where you specifically said, God, I forgive so and so for what they did to me. Can I just challenge you this morning? Because I believe that this is so essential to your salvation and your favor with God. There may be things in your life that is all twisted up. It could be your health, it could be your finances, it could be your relationships. It's hard to say how deep and how wide the effects of unforgiveness reaches in your life. But can I just say to you that this can be a beginning of a road to deliverance in many areas of your life. If you will just take the event and say, God, I choose to forgive this person. And I'm going to continue to practice this forgiveness to them until I do mean it in my heart. If you will continue on that road, I promise you. God will do a work in you so that you genuinely, truly forgive them in in your heart. You pray for them. You really do wish blessing and good upon them. You pray for their salvation. You pray for their family. You pray that they prosper. They're in help. And in the process, I'm going to tell you what it will do. It will set you free. There will be a peace, horrible, and a joy, Inside of you that cannot be described. I'm telling you, joy unspeakable. But there's a barrier between you and that as long as you harbor that in your heart. So, right where you are, this is between you and God. If you've never done that, why don't you do that this morning? Every head head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to ask you, you say, Pastor, most of all, Lord, I want you to see this. I have someone I need to release. I need to forgive them. Would you just raise your hand and say, that's me, Lord. Someone that I have wronged or someone that has wronged me. I need to forgive them. I need to release that from my heart, Lord. Keep your hand up if you would, please. I need to release that. Hands all over the church. I'm going to ask you to stand up. If your hand's raised, stand up with me. Come on, stand up. Right now, where you're at, I want you to just say Heavenly Father, I choose to forgive and just whisper that name to yourself if there's more than one whisper their names to it heavenly father i choose today to forgive and god pray it with me and god i'm going to continue to forgive them until you have made a done a work in my heart and i mean it in my heart in jesus name Now, if it's so, so severe, I want you to pray this. God, I can't forgive them. I can't forgive them. But I'm asking you, Jesus, to let your forgiveness flow through me to them. Until that work is completed in my heart, Lord. Now, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that every person that has responded Lord, to this invitation. That God, you do a work in their heart. Lord, I pray that you set them free, Lord. You deliver them from the memory, God, of it. Lord, you deliver them from the pain of that memory, Lord. And Father, they look back upon it, Lord, like they look upon their own sin. That it is moved as far as the east is from the west, as far as the heavens are above the earth. Lord, they're not going to dredge it up again. It's put in the sea of forgetfulness. And there's a sign there that says, no fishing allowed. God, I pray that you completely and totally set them free, Lord. And because of their obedience to your word, God, their desire to be right with you, God, I pray that you put a joy and a happiness in their heart, God. Father, if there's sickness in their body as a result of bitterness and unforgiveness, God, I pray the healing power of Jesus be upon them and in their bodies right now in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you heal their minds, God. You free their emotions, Lord. If there's psychological issues, God, if there's emotional issues that's attached to that, God, we speak freedom over them in Jesus' name. God, we pray that you release the power of your presence in their life, Lord. God, we pray that you just give them visions and understanding that's beyond what they've had in the past because, Lord, they have taken a a, a huge step with you, God. They've stepped into a new dimension and a new level in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you just lift your hand and say, I receive that in Jesus' name. I receive that in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. You can be... Well, why don't everybody else just go ahead and stand with me. Amen. We're done here this morning. I'm going to go ahead and dismiss in prayer. We're going to have elders at the the altar. If you need prayer for anything, it, it may be something pertaining to what I have ministered on this morning, or it may be something else. If there's sickness in your body, the Bible says, let the elders of the church anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. Whatever you need prayer for this morning, we're going to have people at the altar to pray with you. So as I dismiss you, the altars are still open. The worship team is going to stay and continue to minister to us on the instruments. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for our time together, Lord. I pray that every word that has come out of my mouth, Lord, has been unctioned by the Spirit, Lord, that it gives glory and honor to you. Father, I pray that it was accurate, Lord. Father, if it wasn't, I pray that it just fall to the ground and die. But Lord, every word that was sent by the Spirit, Lord, may it find a place in our heart and grow and produce fruit. Now, Lord, we commit this message to you, Lord. We commit this time to you, Lord. Take it and use it for your glory. Now, Father, as we leave this place, I pray, God, that you would just give us the boldness to to witness to others, Lord. Give us the words to say. Give us opportunity, Father. Now, Lord, I speak a blessing over every family that is represented here today, God. Bless their home, Lord. Make it a refuge, God, and an escape from the world. Lord, may it be a place where the Holy Spirit is welcome, Lord. Strengthen the family today. Husbands and wives, children and their parents, siblings, one with each other, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen. God bless you. You're at liberty to go. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. Central Virginia Assembly of God is located on 5052 Cross County Road, Mineral Virginia, 23117. If you would like more information about the church, visit us at centralvag.org or call 804-514-2413. We would love to hear from you. God bless.